I just love mentoring, you know, the guys. Hospitality to them, it's more of a job, it's not a career. And it's just instilling in them what I've learned, you know what I mean? Trying to be better every day. And the main thing is to be consistent. That's very difficult here when there's not so much of a culture of really good hospitality. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It's one thing to travel the globe as a professional and immerse yourself in the kitchens of some of the best restaurants, but it's another to immerse yourself in a completely different culture, way of life and build a new life, plying your trade. What does it take to use your skills and adapt to a completely different environment? Stephen Moore is the co-owner and head chef of Shelter Group in Bali. Stephen, how are you? Hey mate, how are you? Good to speak to you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to get you on the show. It's been many years since we um, saw you in Sydney. Um, tell us a little bit about Bali. What's things like there at the moment? Oh, it's, it's actually pumping. It's sort of coming back nearly, I'd say, nearly full strength. Um, everything's opened up. They've just relaxed the, um, the entry with the um, vaccinations. So that's all sorted. So I think we'll get a big influx again. And we're just moving into high season now. So the next three or four weeks will be, um, it's already pumping, but it's going to be looking good. But everywhere's, everywhere's going really good. Bali's been a destination for Australian travellers for a long time now, but but as a chef and from a food perspective, um, does it surprise you sort of what's on offer there in Bali? Uh, I first got here in 2013 after my long stint in Australia. And to be honest, there was pretty much two or three beach clubs, um, a couple of the um, legacy restaurants, as you'd say, and then in the last 10 years it's just gone absolutely ballistic it's it's incredible like you can come here on holiday or and you'll have probably a good fortnight of top-notch world-class restaurants to choose from and even the beverage programs and the wine programs you know natural wines being introduced now and you know there's some uh, really cool wine bars happening so yeah completely changed in the course of 10 years tell us a little bit about um from a produce perspective have you been sort of open to a whole new array of of produce and has it changed the way you sort of cook oh uh, without doubt you know when we when i first got to bali it was you know scrimping and scraping to find you know a menu to put together with product but nowadays you know there's producers producing incredible tomatoes you know even to say that people have come from australia and said well these are better than australia you know what i mean so which is pretty impressive you know there's you know there's george doing the heritage pigs um you know a real emphasis now on local product you know when i first got to bali when i was working at coup d'etat pretty much all of the menu is like imported you know high-end product but now i can you know happily say that it's come full circle and pretty much everything apart from the the steak the beef and the um sorry i'll muck that up (laughs) um every much everything other than the uh, steak and the lamb are all local tell us a little bit about uh shelter group okay so End of the pandemic, um, I was sort of out of work and um, just pure, purely by luck, I was asked to be a private chef for one of my buddies 
and my now business partners happened to be the guests at one of the dinner parties at the villa. So it was it was uh, pretty crazy how it all happened. The, the original shelter started in around 2016, 2017, and it's a cafe in Seminyak. And pretty much that was like an institution um, over the, the end of... And then basically we um, started to look towards um, opening another restaurant, so Shelter Restaurant. Tell, tell us about how uh, your role at Shelter began and the creation of Shelter, the restaurant. So, yeah, I was cooking privately for a friend of mine and my two business partners um, came to one of the dinners and he, they basically asked, could we help or could I help with the opening of the shelter? The original shelter was in Seminyak, a cafe, and um, that was been going since 2016. That actually shut during the pandemic, and they wanted they had they found another site in Perenanan, and that meant that they needed a chef for, to come on board and basically open it up. So they got me on board, and the rest is history, basically. What, what sort of food are you cooking there? Um, so when I was cooking privately, the guy that I was cooking for was um, Lebanese, and I happened to have fond memories of um, cooking with a buddy of mine at Rockpool, Simon's Alua, and he was um, always showing me some uh, Middle Eastern techniques, and through through the private chefing with the with my mate, he was showing me a lot of old. Uh, grandmother recipes and he wanted me to cook Lebanese food so that's how I got into it. Tell us about some of those old grandmother recipes what's one or two that really stand out that you love? So obviously the chickpea puree, the hummus the za'atar recipes, all the old breads, so lots of different sage breads, flat breads um, the kufta, the spices yeah yeah it's really 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 interesting food and I sort of fell in love with it, I've never been to the Middle East I've never Never travelled to the Middle East, so it was it was quite fun just getting to know the recipes and then putting that into a restaurant situation, which was really fun. Well, I want to explore what you're doing there at Shelter a bit more in a little while, but take us back to when you were young. Where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? So I'm, a, I'm a, from England, um, from Essex, and I was very lucky as a kid. Food was a massive part of the family life. You know, my mum and dad always instilled. We sat down around the dinner table every night, had a, had a proper meal, sat together as a family, discussed the day's events. You know, when I was at school, my mum would always be cooking, you know, making the old English pies and casseroles. And so food was an integral part of my growing up. Um, even my father, he, you know, he wasn't a cook. But as a, as a kid, I watched him. He, he learned ca- classic Cantonese cookery, which is bizarre, from a, very, from a very good friend who was from Hong Kong. So every, every, every month he'd invite, my mum and dad have massive families, so every month they'd invite family members for this big Chinese banquet. So he'd spend three or four days preparing this banquet, which was insane. So forget about the... Uh, the everyday 
meals that we'd have. He'd spend three or four days cooking these incredible banquets, which was insane. Was there a Cantonese dish that you remember fondly from those days? The spare ribs. (laughs) (laughs) But he'd go to the, you know, he'd go to the local, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, Asian food in Colchester where I lived was, you know, it was the Chinese takeaway and that was it, or the Indian. So there was one Chinese uh, grocery store that we'd go and I'll never forget walking into the grocery store and having that incredible um, smell of the five spice and, you know, the different ingredients. I'll, I'll never forget that. When did you sort of start to think about um, chefing as a career? So, yeah, I was at uh, primary school and I remember I must have been six years old and the uh, teacher said, right, today we're doing a cooking lesson and we're going to make um, current buns, you know, cupcakes. And for some reason, that lesson, I just loved it and enjoyed it. And then uh, more and more I got introduced to cooking with my mum on the weekend or in the evenings after school. And then for some reason, from a very young age, I wanted to be a chef. Wow. Well, what was your first steps into the industry um, and, and in, a, in a role in a commercial kitchen? So all through school, I, I sort of knew what I wanted to do. I took home economics as a subject. I ironically failed it at GCS, GCSE. <laughs> I was more of a practical person. Um, yeah, all through school, I, I sort of knew that I wanted to be a chef. And it was at that point, it was whether I would be go, you know, I looked at the, you know, my mum and dad would take me to careers meetings at school and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And it was just purely the fact of which, which avenue I would take to be a chef, whether it would be in the armed forces, in the army, or doing an apprenticeship, or then doing um, college a city, city and Guilds, because in Colchester, where I live, there was a very good um, technical college called Colchester Institute, and they ran a three-year City and Guilds program. So I took it upon myself to go to college full-time. So as I meant to enroll to the college, um, the local five-star hotel, the Mill Hotel, it was the summer and I was on my bike and I thought, why don't I just go and see if I can get some work experience before I start college? And I picked up a job as a kitchen hand, um, washing up. So, yeah. You spent uh, time in uh, France and Switzerland and also in the UK and London as well. What were the really sort of integral sort of venues and people that you worked with uh, at the beginning of your career? So, I finished my technical college three years Part of that was to get overseas experience, to complete the certificate, and they shipped me off to the south of France, to Perigord, as an 18-year-old in a caravan at the back of the restaurant, you know, going to the markets every morning, 6 a.m., and then just cooking the most incredible, you know, this is the food that you've been, you know, classically French trained through, through college, and it's there in front of you, foie gras every day for breakfast, truffles, you know, going to see how, you know, they're shooting the pigeons, farmers on the back door of the restaurant selling buckets of mushrooms. It was just incredible. So from there, I got back to England after six months in the south of France and then two years in Switzerland. And then um, just purely by luck, I went to see my old lecturer to say hello. 
at the college and say thank you for the the hookups and then he said look we have some exciting news um mark prescott the ex-chef of the gavroche in mayfair in london has just purchased um the oldest pub in england which happened to be the white heart down the road from where i was living and he was going into business with michelle rue senior and they're looking for a sous chef would you be interested <laughs> so i thought yes definitely so they hooked me up an interview there's mark prescott the, you know one of the most prestigious chefs in the world standing there i need some help to open this pub would you be interested he goes you work with me for a year you can work anywhere you want in the world and that just sort of stuck with me and um at least to say it was the hardest year of my life working you know what i mean a crazy experience you know 18 hours a day and just you know there was marco on the end of the phone like old school kitchen mentality tough very very tough but that year i spent with him was the ticket to the rest of my life with the reference that he gave me so an amazing time what sort of impacts did that experience have on sort of your approach to to your craft i think uh now you know the dedication the dedication the grit the will the drive you know back back then there was no instagram there was no there was no application for you to get or require or get information you know then you had to, if you wanted to know a recipe or you wanted to see a dish you'd either have to eat in the restaurant or you'd have to go and work there you know recipes bibles of recipes i collected over the years now i have everything on my phone it's completely changed you mentioned that working uh, with Mark Prescott opened sort of the whole world to you. Where, where, where did you go from there? To be totally honest, after the year with Mark, I was pretty much burnt out. It was a pretty intense time. And I happened to be reading the Hotel and Caterer magazine. And there was an article about a guy called Stephen Thompson, the chef of the region in Auckland. And um, I thought, why not go to New Zealand? <laughs> Crazy, just to get away from it. I was sort of overcooking, I was burnt out. And um, it was pretty much right, let's get on the plane and see what happens. Um, I sort of needed a break from everything. And I called, I called him and he said, look, I don't have any, I don't, he saw my resume. And he said, I don't have any, um, places yet but i can put you in contact with a um an agency and they can maybe help you out and then three weeks later i was in rotorua in new zealand wow how how different was that compared to what you were used to in the uk oh different ends of the scale like the executive chef he was um he was dutch so he still had that hardcore old school kitchen mentality you know what i mean so it was good to be, but the, the level of food and the lifestyle, it was more the lifestyle. I took time out for a year, still working and progressing in my career, you know, doing cooking competitions and stuff like that. But it was purely a, a sort of a, a detox from cooking and then just to find my feet again. So then um, the restaurant manager of the hotel, she had good connections in Australia. 
So I thought, right, I'm in uh, New Zealand. Why well, don't I've always wanted, dreamed of going to Australia. And then uh, luckily enough, the same process, I got in touch with a job agency in, uh, in Sydney and they placed me, which I'm very, very grateful now. I spent a long time with Hyatt Hotels, starting in Canberra. And that's where I sort of met my first real mentor in cooking. Wow. Well, tell us about who that was and what impact they had on you. So I moved to Canberra in, uh, I think it was 97, 98. And uh, there was a gentleman or my good buddy now, Tony Carroll. He was the ex-chef of the Glen Eagles in Scotland. And uh, the Park Light in Canberra had um, a fine dining restaurant called The Oak Room. And uh, again, saw my resume, saw that I, where I'd worked, and pretty picked me up. And I was in Canberra two weeks later. You know what I mean? Starting working at the Park Hyatt. So, and then again, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. I did a year with him, and he was good friends with Paul Wilson. They'd worked at um, they'd worked together in Piccadilly in London, and they were opening the new Radii restaurant at the Park Hyatt in Melbourne for the for the year two thousand. So after a year at Canberra, they transferred me up to Pool, and that's where things really changed for me in regards to product and cooking, because I'd come from a very classical background where it was, you know, 20 garnishes on the plate, and that changed completely with working with Pool, which I'm forever grateful for as well. Was, was that transformational period uh, difficult for you or did it have its challenges? Tell us about that time. So pretty much it got, I went from super high in fine dining. I got to work with Paul and he just completely turned everything upside down. It was purely product on the plate and that was it. A beautiful wood roasted snapper, burnt lemon, that's it. And I couldn't get my head around it. I was like, what's this? What's going on? You know what I mean? And it was just an incredible year of my life where I'd, we'd run the a la carte menu and then we'd run four or five specials every day. And it was just, I had an, by the year out, I had an encyclopedia of incredible dishes and recipes. And I'd never seen so much Australian produce in my life, you know. It completely changed my whole view on cooking. You spent quite a lot of time in Sydney as well. Tell us about the move to Sydney and um, and what you did. So I was, how that came about, I was working with Paul and we happened to do a chef's dinner with the one and only Mr. Neil Perry and Ross Lusted. So Ross came up with his um, sous chef, Daryl, and they came and did the dinner and after the dinner, I sort of got super interested in the way that they were cooking the, their food and doing their dishes. And um, I said, was there, the, the Olympics was coming up. And uh, I said, was there any opportunity that I could get transferred up through Hyatt for, um, for a job for the Olympics at the Park Hyatt Sydney? And then they agreed. So I was extremely lucky, moved up to Sydney for the Olympics and started my journey into Sydney where that lasted you know 12 or 13 years 
you worked with um, Rockpool and spent time with Bridge Room with Ross Lusted as well. What, what sort of impact did um, those restaurants and, and Ross and Neil have on you? Um, incredible. Like, I started at the Park Hyatt for the Olympics with Ross. He happened to move on. As I started, he moved on to work for Aman in Singapore. Uh, sorry, uh, yes, yeah, Singapore. And basically completely changed my whole view again on seasoning, you know, using citrus as a seasoning, different aromats, and again, learning about Asian product. You know, um, when I'm, I was lucky enough to get the job at Rockpool, you know, a young guy from Colchester, Essex, England, and then there I am looking into the Rockpool pantry or the larder and there's red dates and Shoshing wine and master stock and it's just it was just completely inspiring you know what i mean it's amazing you you spent a bit of time in the kitchen of the bridge room with ross which won um so many accolades in its time and really sort of took sydney by surprise it was a tiny little kitchen do you have any stories of what it was like being part of uh, that, that group then <laughs> oh, it was incredible i sort of had a very fond relationship with ross uh, he sort of took me under uh, his wing at a you know a long time before that uh, when I was working at the Hyatt we stayed in contact and we sort of built this amazing relationship and he was sort of like my mentor my second mentor and he'd always said to me you know we worked all around the world together with Arman and he'd always said I'm going to open the bridge room or we weren't to know that it was going to be called the bridge room but he always wanted to open a restaurant in Sydney and um, I was working for Aman, and um, he basically turned around and said, look, there's a job. I found the site, which was the bridge room in Bridge Street. Um, I want you to come and be my head chef. So that was a pretty crazy experience, you know. The times of, you know, Rabada grills, he was the first sort of pioneer of putting that sort of apparatus into a kitchen. We opened... And with Ross, it was very, very um, spontaneous. Like, I've never worked with anyone like it in my life. Incredible deft touch with, you know, he'd, he'd played a dish and you'd be like, how does the rest of the brigade plate that dish? You know what I mean? Like, incredible deft touch with product aesthetically. He's, um, the way he seasoned things. And it was all in his mind, you know what I mean? It was very, sometimes quite frustrating to work with him because it would be there and I'm like waiting as the head chef, you know what I mean? I have to relay how everything works with that dish to the other members of the team and it's there, there, there and then bang, it would happen and we got 10 minutes before service, you know what I mean? But it kept it very, very interesting, I must say. We've had Ross on the show and um, and he talked about the tiny kitchen there and dealing with no sort of large cool room and deliveries. Well, what was it like for you as head chef trying to operate that kitchen? Pretty much it was we would order enough for lunch. Two o'clock we'd get another seafood uh, delivery and then it was pretty much prepping for that service. You could never be obviously an amazing experience but you would never be more than a service in prep uh, ready. So it was pretty, pretty full on. And then the, you know, the restaurant, we got two hats straight off the bat. You know, we'd been open 
I think two or three months and then the good food guy come out who was up for best new restaurant we got two hats and then because of the rabada style cooking every chef and his dog were in the restaurants coming into the kitchen seeing this new style of cooking so it was a very very interesting time but it was it was very it was it was challenging but an amazing challenge to have it's much to say that at Shelter, we didn't have a cool room. We've been open a year and a half. We didn't have a cool room until six months ago and we were doing two, 200, 250. So that that really shaped the way that I was working. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a very, very um, good experience. You mentioned um, that Ross Lusted's one of your mentors. What, what impact has he had on you and, and your cooking? Um, it's bizarre. Like... It's hard, it's hard to put point, one point on it, but even day in, day out, you're with someone or you're with a team, you know, 17, 16, 17 hours a day. It was, now I feel, you know, it sounds a bit weird, but you get the same mannerisms as your, as your mentors, do you know what I mean? Like, I sort of react, I react the same way to situations the same way he would you know what I mean it's 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 bizarre how you become so tight with someone and you work so hard together yeah it's it's bizarre you spent um some of your career traversing the globe as well New Delhi and Barcelona tell us a bit about some of the sort of real amazing experiences you've had uh yeah that was again down to Ross so I was finished Rockpool um, when was that? 2000 and 2005. There was an opportunity at Icebergs. I took that um, for a couple of years, which was amazing. Again, working with Morris um, really showed me the deal of hospitality and how you should treat a guest. You know what I mean? Through while I was at Icebergs, you know, sitting there one sunny day doing the ordering, and I get a phone call from Mr. Lusted saying. Um, I just got, uh, there's a job you might want to take. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm super happy at Icebergs, living in Bondi. And he goes, how would you like to go and work in India? And I'm like, you got to be joking me. And uh, sort of declined straight away. He goes, let me explain the job. So they were opening the first city hotel for Amman Resorts in New Delhi. They had two projects in Rajasthan already open, but they needed a city base so it was easier transiting for the guests. And Adrian Zecker, the chairman of Arman Resorts, had eaten at Can Fabas in Barcelona, just close to Barcelona, from three-star Michelin uh, Santi Santa Maria. And he, he was going to consult for the restaurant. So what they wanted was a head chef to go and open a Spanish restaurant in New Delhi, which sounds absolutely nuts. So a month later, I'm on a plane with Ross to Barcelona to meet Santi and then spent six months in Barcelona at a three-star, learning everything from Santi one-on-one, which was an absolutely incredible experience. From there, I then moved to New Delhi and spent two years on and off in New Delhi trying to open the restaurant. And through that, because of the delays of the hotel, I got shipped off to Sri Lanka, Montenegro, hooked up with Ross again in Montenegro to um, sort out Sveti Stefan, which was a private island. 
and then from there um, yeah stayed in India um, which was incredible and then moved back to Sydney in 2009. What did you love about your time in New Delhi? I think it was just so so outrageous like there was no you couldn't comprehend it like to turn around to someone today and explain how India is as a country and as a culture it's impossible you have to go there to experience it for yourself like the food is just incredible I'd never eaten Indian food you know coming from England everyone eats a curry but I'd never experienced Indian food just as a kid never been approached to go and eat it so I was very lucky I went and ate Indian food in India which was incredible how did you end up in Bali so I was I got back to Sydney and was a bit of a loose end what do I do next and um, I was working with Nathan Sassy uh, just to help him out he was opening a lira the tapas bar in Piermont and what it's like one month sort of turned into I think it was nearly a year we worked together helping him out and um, I just got a phone call from my best buddy who's already here in Bali, Ben Cross, and he was working at Coup d'etat. And um, basically they were looking, Philip Davenport, the executive chef, was moving away. Ben was taking that position and then I um, stepped into Ben's position and moved after, after that moved to Bali. What was it like for you when you first got there? Um, I'd never really been to Bali before. Obviously, being in Australia, it was so close as a holiday destination. I'd never ventured to Bali. So, yeah, it was a completely different um, sort of culture from India as well. You know, I was sitting in the kitchen at, in India saying nothing will be as hard as this. But when I first got to Bali, I found it quite challenging because the there was no real sort of hospitality environment. You know, it was more of a job for the guys in the kitchen or... The service so that sort of I had to really change my view on how I managed the kitchen and how you could work with the guys in a certain certain aspects I found it quite difficult to start with so yeah that was a good challenge you mentioned at the top of the show that um, just sort of at the tail end of the pandemic you you were out of work and you started doing private dinners but what sort of impact did the, the pandemic have on you and and your views on sort of what you want to get out of this industry? Um, it completely changed the whole landscape of Bali because 90% of it's tourism, you know. So everyone with businesses, everyone with restaurants, you know, regardless if it was hospitality or cuisine or anything, everyone really had to take note. And, you know, luckily people were still paying their staff. So, yeah, it was, it was an extremely difficult time. But for me, I lost, I lost my job because of the pandemic and what I have now is part of that because I found what I have now because of the pandemic. I had to hustle and start cooking private dinners and the two guests that came to the dinner are now my business partners. So in some respects, it was, I was very, very lucky compared to others. You know, It really did hit Bali hard. You, know, you drive through Kuda, which was hustle and bustle for years and years and there's you know there's, it's completely desolate nothing there ghost town which was pretty hard to see after such a vibrant you know a vibrant holiday destination 
you've been living in Bali for quite a while now. Tell us a little bit about the local food. What, what do you love about it? Do you have any um, dishes or ingredients that you can share with us? Yeah, my, my girlfriend's Indonesian, so I get to experience some great dishes. Um, Soto ayam, the chicken soup, the beef rendang, you know, the, the usuals. There's some really amazing, you know, the, the babi guling. There's some incredible dishes. Um, yeah, I happened to do some private chefing on some yachts as well. And that was very interesting because I went out to, you know, Java and Raja Ampat where there was really localized foods with the, you know, the soups, the hardcore, proper local food, which was very, very interesting. You're now at Shelter and you mentioned sort of uh, briefly about the Middle Eastern um, cuisine that you're cooking there. Um, is there a dish or two that you can sort of tell us about that's on the menu that sort of exemplifies what you're doing? Yeah, we have. Um, we've just started doing this new um, one. At the, the guy I was cooking for, he, he loved this thing, Lambergin, which is like a breakfast flatbread. We've started doing that with the spice lamb flatbread, baked egg. We've started, you know, as the restaurants got busier and busier, we've managed to increase the size of the production area. We've started to do, um, we've built a bakery, so we're doing all our in-house sourdoughs. So started to make a coffee sourdough. So we used, that, that was inspired um, from Dan Puskas at Sixpenny. So he came to do an event when I was at Coup d'etat and he was using the old coffee grounds. So I sort of took that on board and um, started using, there's a, there's a beer company here called Kura Kura and they make this coffee stout. So I've been incorporating the coffee stout with that coffee sourdough and it's been coming up really good. So really good. Australia is renowned for some pretty incredible seafood and you worked for some operators that really champion that while you were here in Australia. But um, there's some pretty incredible seafood around uh, Bali as well. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the seafood you've got access to and what you've got on the menu. Yeah, the, that's probably, like we were talking about product before, that's probably the most consistent thing here in, in Indonesia, in Bali. You know, we have incredible moon scallops octopus the prawns are incredible obviously all the reef fish the coral trout um it's yeah it's like even now even the producers and um the providors they're getting sort of wind of how exciting the culinary scene is here and you know days when i was in australia you get a phone call from your fish supplier now the indonesian local suppliers are sending me messages every day you know beautiful red mullet you know incredible product you know just landed and the next night you know there's the same night it's on it's on the menu on the grill so yeah it's really the landscape has completely changed in regards to that product but the seafood is probably the most consistent product here well, you're really making a name for yourself at Shelter there in Bali. What, what do you love about uh, what you do? I just love mentoring, you know, the guys. Like I said before, hospitality to them, it's more of a job. It's not a career. You know, um, I have a brigade of 30 guys, you know, and uh, probably the service is around 40 guys. And it's just trying to instill them, instilling in them what I've learned, you know what I mean? Trying to be better every day. And the main thing is to be consistent. That's very difficult here when there's not so much of a culture of, you know, 
really good hospitality, you know, just teaching them hospitality, making the guests feel welcome, making them feel part of the environment, the restaurant. You know, that's, the, that's the one thing I try and instill into the guys. Well, Stephen, it's been many moons since uh, I last saw you at the Bridge Room in Sydney, but it's an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today and hear of the great things you're doing over there in Bali. Um, please, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Definitely. Okay, thank you, mate. Cheers. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.